0: If you got a Bible, turn with me. If you don't, it's found in your bulletin, and it's also going to be on the screen as well. Let me read. Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said, so I say now to you again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is the word of the Lord. If you are exploring Christianity for the first time in your life or you're a brand new believer, I can't think of a better book of the Bible to introduce you to because in it, you'll be called to see and believe the gospel. The gospel will be made so much more clear to you through this book. And this word gospel, which we're gonna say about 5,000 times today, it literally means good news. Good news from the Greek. And if you are not a new believer and you've been walking with Christ your entire life even, I can't think of a better book for you as well to learn and to study because in it for you also, you're gonna get the gospel clarified for you But you're also going to be called in to believe it. So whether you are still investigating Christianity or whether you've been walking with God for a long time, all of us in this room, every single one of us, as we study Galatians, are going to be called to believe the gospel. Now, why on earth would a Christian, somebody who's already following Jesus, like Izzy, be called on a daily basis to believe the gospel? Well, what Paul is demonstrating in this, in this letter is this, like we believe the gospel, but there's a reality that we are constantly in our hearts adding to it. We are so tempted to take Jesus and what he's done for us and add something else to it as our sense of righteousness, as our identity, as the thing we look to to give us confidence before God. Every one of us does this. If you're honest, every single one of us does that. And I I hope you know this. I believe the gospel. (laughs) And I don't. I mean, I preach to you the gospel. I believe the gospel. But every day of my life, I battle functional unbelief in the gospel because I am constantly tacking things onto my life. And I have to battle this day by day, just as you do, to say, no, that's not good news. This is good news. Jesus is the good news. And this is what Paul is going to teach us. If you're not yet a believer, there's a call. Come, believe the gospel. It is such good news. I hope you get a taste of that today. If you are a Christian, believe the gospel. It is such good news. And I hope to demonstrate to that uh, today. Paul teaches us that the gospel is not just the ABCs of the faith, and so many of us Christians sort of operate like that. Like, hey, you come to Christianity like Izzy has done, and, and you're baptized, and you begin to walk with Jesus, and that's the ABCs. That's the elementary aspects of Christianity. But later in life, you're going to learn that there are other things that are more important, deeper truths. Some people will call it like the meat of the word. These replace sort of that basic gospel. But what Paul says is, no, Not at all. Not that there aren't other things to learn and study and theology to explore. But at the end of the day, the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian faith. It is the A to the Z. It's the Alpha. It's the Omega. The good news about Jesus for our hearts and our life is the essence. It's the essence of Christianity. And this is what Paul is saying. Tim Keller, in his book on Galatians, which I highly commend to you, and next week we're going to have several copies of here, and if you want to grab one and, and purchase it, you can. He says this, Paul will explain to us the truths of the gospel change life from top to bottom. That's why we're studying this. That they transform our hearts, our thinking, and our approach to absolutely everything. Everything? Tim? Really? Yes. The gospel, the message that we are more wicked than we ever dare believe, but more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope, creates a radical new dynamic for personal growth, for obedience, and for love. You and I, guys, if you've followed Jesus, you've read the Bible, you know we are called to obey Him. In the great commandment, it says, Go, make disciples of all nations, teaching them, and then you know, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. So we are called to obedience, but out of what stance, what motivation, what is our hope? And and what Paul is showing us is yes to obedience, but it is through trusting in Christ and not adding anything else as our confidence. And when we do that, our love for God will intensify and grow incredibly, but just as importantly, our love for one another will as well. Our main point for this morning and really for this whole series is this. The gospel equals Jesus plus nothing. The gospel equals Jesus plus nothing else, and a false gospel is Jesus plus fill in the blank. Fill it, it's a hundred million different things that you and I put in that place, but that's a false gospel, and Paul brings out fighting words to warning us about it. Our hope and our faith in Jesus is in him alone, and we, we put our hope, our faith in anything else. Paul warns us it is a, it's a false gospel. Now, let's talk about for a minute. Let's introduce ourselves to Paul and the Galatians and, and see what this letter is about. Who is Paul and who are the Galatians? He says in verses 1 through 2, I'm Paul. He's introducing himself. As, you know, he's literally writing them a letter So he's making an introduction, just like we would in an email or a letter. He says, I'm Paul, an apostle, not from men. So I'm an apostle, but not from men, nor through man, but through Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. To the churches in Galatia. Galatia was less of a city and more of a region, and there were churches, not a church in that area. So there's a whole region of churches and he's writing to that, so this is a letter that's being sent and it's actually being meant to be passed around to the various churches. Ordinarily, what I find with Paul and interesting about this letter Paul brings a lot of fluff on the front end of a letter. Like when he's writing to the Ephesians, for example, he says things like, I'm Paul, an apostle, and you're the saints in Ephesus. You are beloved of God. You are predestined in Christ to do good works beforehand that he's, he's predestined for you. You're loved, you're loved. He pronounces benedictions over them. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus who's blessed you in Christ in every good way. And then he says, I never cease to pray for you. But... Have you noticed in Galatians, you get about four verses of that, and he goes right to the heart in verse six and gets down to business. Why? Because he's upset. He calls himself an apostle, and then he, he says, not for men, and here's the problem. That's what people were saying about him, and he's kind of defensive about it. He is in the book of Corinthians as well. He feels like he has to uh, argue for his credentials because other people are coming around going, Paul is not a real apostle. He was not one of the original disciples that followed Jesus, like Matthew and, and so forth. And so he's not legit. But if you read in the book of Acts, Paul was called directly by the Holy Spirit to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And what I find fascinating is the other apostles and disciples, they don't argue about that at all. They, in fact, receive him, love him, and agree that he has apostolic authority. He's an apostle. What's an apostle? That word apostle literally means to be sent or to be sent out. And so various people and callings are apostolic. Like I would call missionaries, I would say they would have an apostolic calling because they are called out on mission by God, sent out and so forth. In a sense, as a church planner, I had an apostolic calling moving from the hinterlands of Ohio to, you know, our great state to plant a church, apostolic. But every time we talk about it today, it should be in a lowercase letter, apostolic lowercase not apostolic uppercase as in an apostle right that's good news too I have great news for you, and it's kind of sad for some people, I think, but we don't have any more apostles in this sense because in the New Testament, you see tied to it is not just an idea of being sent like a missionary, but there is authority attached to him throughout the New Testament and the other apostles. Why? Because not only are they being sent as a missionary, but they are being sent literally to reveal God's word to God's people just as the prophets in the Old Testament were. So that we believe, Christians believe, that the New Testament, along with the Old Testament, is literally God's revealed word to us. So we don't need any more apostles to give us new revelation. We have a full revelation of who God is in Jesus Christ through the scriptures. We believe there's no need for more apostolic witness that way or or prophecy. Instead, we need to walk with the Holy Spirit, reading God's Word together and encouraging one another through the Word. We have the fullness of God's Word to us in Jesus Christ and the Scriptures. So as we study the Bible, though, I've got great news for you. The Holy Spirit speaks to us not a new word, but he illuminates truths of the Bible to us and helps apply it to our life and our specific instances in our life and how we need to hear God's word. And so you'll hear people say like, well, God told me this as I was reading the Bible or or, the Lord said this or the Lord, but really we ought to preface it with like, I believe the Lord is saying or I feel because honestly no one, including myself, can say this is what God says unless I can point directly to the scripture. So this church and the church is built on Christ alone as its head and, and the word of God is alone our authority today and so if anyone, and espe- you know, any, and especially me, gets up and says, thus saith Scott Brown, then run. Okay, You don't want Scott Brown's word. You want God's word preached through hopefully Scott Brown and others. So he's an apostle. He's a little defensive about it. People are calling that into question. And he's writing to the church in Galatia and he's very concerned. There's a problem going on. What is the problem? We read in verse six through seven. So welcome, I'm Paul. How you doing? Boom, I'm astonished. I can't believe what you guys are doing. I I am furious. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting. Desertion, that's a big deal. I mean, that gets you killed if you're in the military. Put in prison. Desertion. I am astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. By the way, there is no other gospel. If you get a different gospel, it's not gospel anymore, Paul says. It's bad news, not good news. It's enslavement, not freedom. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. (laughs) You know, normally if you're writing a confrontational email, don't do that by the way, make a call or do a face-to-face, but like if you if you do it, like you pre- Hope everything's going well. I hope hope the kids are fine. Duh, duh, duh. Paul skips all the niceties and just says, "I'm astonished. I can't believe what you're doing." And to me, that seems personal. Like Paul is feeling this at an emotional level and an intellectual one, of course. But at the personal level, he reminds me of a father or a mother who's received word that one of their children is in a far country and is doing something crazy and wrong. And he loves them, and and he sees and senses that they're in danger, and he's responding saying, you need to wake up to the danger that you're in. That is the heart and the tone that I see this. You're not experiencing good news any longer. You're adding to the gospel. Paul had been on a missionary journey we read in the book of Acts in that region and many churches had been established. He established it in the grace of God about Jesus and somebody else when he was done planting those churches you get the sense like he had just gotten back to wherever he is. He's unpacking trying to rest from all that work and then he gets word like they've already quit believing the gospel. (laughs) So he writes this letter and he's very angry and he shows us there are, there are things to get upset about. There are truths that are worthy of going to the mat over, but they don't see the danger. There are these false teachers who followed Paul after his missionary journey, and they came in and they're saying, hey, what Paul taught you was good, but we need to improve it. And they preached Jesus to them, and they said, you need Jesus, but you need Jesus plus the Mosaic law. You guys are eating pork. You should not. You know, the ceremonial law would say we don't eat pork. So it's Jesus plus obedience to the ceremonial law. It's Jesus plus circumcision. You were baptized, that's great, but if you really want to follow God, you need to be like us Jews that are following Jesus also, and you need to be circumcised, and you need to do everything customarily that we have done as Jewish people in the past if you really want to love God, if you really want to have confidence that you your child. They added, even though it was from the Old Testament, to the good news of Jesus, and Paul says, no, that is not what obedience is to Jesus looks like. It's Jesus plus nothing else at all. What is the gospel? Look at verses three through five. He gives us just a taste. He's gonna get into it in great details. We study the letter later, but even in verses three through five in his introduction, he, gets, uh, he gives us a taste of what the gospel is. Grace to you and peace. The gospel is grace and peace. From God our Father, And the Lord Jesus, his son, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God the Father, to whom be glory and glory forever and ever and ever. Jesus was a great teacher. I often imagine as I'm reading the gospels what it must have been like to be on that hillside or at the the lakeside listening to Jesus teach. Can you imagine I mean, he had to be the greatest teacher of all time. He's God in the flesh. He's teaching. I would love to sit at his feet, and we'll get the chance to do that someday. So imagine, Jesus the teacher, but he's he's far more than a teacher. He's a deliverer. It says here, he came to deliver us from our sins. So Jesus is not just a a good teacher. He's not just a guru. He's not just a rabbi. He is one who delivers rescues, saves. If somebody delivers me from something, you know, in my mind, what you know, I think of deliverance from slavery or something like that, but I think of even like delivering a package like on Amazon, right? If I'm a little package over here that needs to be sent from Idaho to, to Phoenix by Amazon, it is being delivered from something to somewhere else. And, and literally, that package does very little in the process, you know, it's being delivered. And Paul is saying, that's your situation. You have to be delivered. You can't deliver yourself. You have to be rescued, Paul says. You have to be saved. It's that desperate. The gospel is deliverance from our sin, it is salvation from our sin. And frankly, that doesn't play well with the human heart, does it? I don't want to be delivered. I'm an American. It's not how we do things. I deliver myself. I pull myself up from my own bootstraps. Does anyone know what that phrase means? Pulling yourself up from your own bootstraps. Imagine. Anyway, that seems hard. I need 10 steps. Give me like five ideas of how to be a better this. How to 10 steps to better life, being a better person. That's what I want. Give me the rules. Give me religion. Every religion... And I would say Christianity is distinct from religion. It's gospel. Every religion is a path to you getting enough obedience that maybe God will accept you on how well you're keeping the five things of the ten things. But the gospel is, is not a path, it's a person. You're looking to put your hope in the one who did keep all of God's righteousness. Paul says, look, cheer up. Cheer up. You're way worse than you know. Your situation is far worse than you can ever imagine. You're not, just, you're not just sick. You're dead, he says in Ephesians, in your sin. The, the consequences of your sin, it's not just, eh, we're a little bit at odds. It's that you're dead in your sin and, and that you have separated yourself from my life and the life that we would have together. It's that bad. You need to be rescued, but cheer up. You are more loved in Jesus Christ and accepted than you could ever dream possible. That's the gospel. You see, if you don't understand that it's way worse than you realize and you're not continuing to realize that, the gospel really has nothing to give you and let me explain why. The gospel is for sinners. The righteous don't need the gospel. But guess what? There are no righteous people, Jesus would say. I came for the sick, the least, the lost, the broken. If that's you... Okay? Then the gospel is powerful and meaningful to you. If that's not you, if you're righteous and a Pharisee, then the gospel has nothing to speak to you about. We need him. We're desperate for him. His death was not a general sacrifice. It says here, he gave himself for us. The gospel is that he substituted himself for us. His atonement, his death on the cross, was a substitution. What's that mean? I should have been on the cross. I don't like to go there or think about it, but I I literally deserved death of that kind to be tortured like that. And and yet Jesus said, no, I will put myself in your place. The cross never made sense to me until I made it well into seminary and it still didn't make sense. I, I kept asking myself, like, why, you know, why didn't God just show up as Jesus Christ and go, I forgive you. I'm Jesus, I'm God. I'm here just to forgive you. And I just want to let you know, it's all good. You know? But instead, he lives his life for 33 years. He lives a perfect life, a righteous life, earning perfect righteousness. And then he dies, not just some random death, not not even a heroic death like in battle, sacrificially, which people do, laying down their life for their brother. But instead, he does it sacrificially and substitutionally for us. He died for you. It's particular. It's not just general. He had you in mind. He had all of his sheep in mind, all of his children, all of his sons and daughters. He went there for you because he loved you that much. No one has loved you like this, and all of us in this life are searching for love. Looking for love in all the wrong places, right? Someone should write a song. That's what we're doing, we're searching. We're looking for someone to love us like this. And we're empty. Every one of us is looking for that kind of love, that kind of acceptance. But there's only one place where this can fully and finally come because all of us let one another down. Jesus loved us that much that he went even to the cross for us, died for us, was raised for us. What is the gospel? I've been saying it over and over. The gospel equals Jesus plus nothing verses six through eight. Let's look at it again. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. It was quick. He had just been there probably. You've already left? Are you kidding me? You're, You're deserting not me though. You're deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. When we add anything, friends, what Paul is saying to Jesus We're creating a different gospel, and the good news becomes bad news. Anything. And this is what we do, though. We need to have a sense of confidence. Like, how do I know, if I were to die today, how would I know that I would be let into God's kingdom and be a, a citizen of that kingdom for eternity. How would I have confidence that that's true? We almost always in our in our hearts say, "Well, I believe in Jesus and I trust in Jesus, but there's always a plus aside to this equation. Plus I'm a really good person. Plus I do this. Plus I work out. Plus I'm I, I do social justice. I care for the poor. Whatever your thing is, I believe all the right stuff politically." Right. <laughs> whatever our thing is, we start to say, well, God will accept me because I'm a little bit better than everybody else. There's everybody in the world, and I just got to be in that 51%, right? Just a little bit over in the better side of the equation, and, and we just realize that's, that's not it. That's not what this is about. It's Jesus plus nothing, nothing else, or you get a false gospel, and that's not just for unbelievers, especially you believers. You do this every day of your life, you're looking often to the best things about you and the best things about life and saying, but if I can just get that, or if I can just add that, then maybe I'll have a little bit more confidence in my life that God might love me and accept me. A false gospel is Jesus equals, or it's, it's Jesus plus fill in the blank. And we all do it last night, you guys, I've got family in town. My brother-in-law is here. He and I were home alone. Everyone else in the house was at a dance, like for a school, and we went to Costco and bought the most beautiful steaks you've ever seen in your life. And last night, I grilled literally the perfect steak, right? It was literally the best steak I've ever had, ever. That's my righteousness. (laughs) I got steak righteousness. Like, God loves me a little bit more than you because I can grill an amazing steak now. I mean, every other steak I've ever grilled, is pretty good. It can, you, you cook a mean steak. But like, it was that good. And I'm joking, but here's the reality. We don't do it with steak, I hope. That would be really weird. But like, we do it with a million other things. We look to a million other things as our identity. I love Jesus, that gives me confidence, but I'm also in really good shape. I love Jesus, but I'm actually pretty good looking. I love Jesus, I'm really smart. I love Jesus, and I have perfect theology. Even your theology, even your study of the Bible can be another form of works righteousness where you say, I've worked it out, I've been there, I've done this. When I was a young man studying theology after seminary, actually, is when I started to get, like, theology righteous, because it's so clear. My conclusions in this book are so clear. All of my interpretations are so clear. If you don't agree with my interpretations, you must, maybe, aren't saved. Because you need to be saved, you need to believe in Jesus, but you also better accept my deal. Which isn't the gospel, but it's, it's close. Not even perfect theology, can be added on saying that's my confidence. Jesus alone, his life, his death, his resurrection, nothing can be added, not your church attendance, whether you're an elder in some church, whether you're a deacon, whether, you, whether you've given your life for God and become a missionary to some foreign country, not even that can be your confidence. Jesus alone has to be our identity, has to be our salvation. And the more and more and more we look to him, trust him, and turn to him, believing, there's freedom. One of the things in some churches that I've experienced is this. It's, it's not perfect theology. Some, in our tradition, it, that is kind of it. Like, we have, we have theological righteousness and intellectual righteousness. I've figured it out. I've got the right stuff. I believe the right stuff. And you better to get in my club. But in other churches, it's not theology, it's not the intellect, it's experience. It's an emotional experience. Okay, you believe in Jesus, that's good, and you have faith in him, but you need to add to that another work of grace, some other experience where you speak in tongues or whether you have some big emotional workup where you believe and are moved and and maybe just have this ecstatic experience. But even that, some experience of the Holy Spirit is not enough. You may not look to that, it's Jesus alone. He is your righteousness. He is your confidence. When I first became a Christian, I was in high school, and I was a young man, like sophomore in high school, who did not think about God, did not care about God, was living for myself, just like most people and most high schoolers, absolutely just living for myself. And out of the blue, I began to have a hunger and a thirst for God and realized that I was broken, fallen, sinful, and that I needed him. It was all grace. I'm telling you, nobody was sharing their faith with me. Uh, I just out of the blue started caring about spiritual things and about the Lord. It was grace. And I was a humbled sinner. Like I knew, I, for some reason, it was strange to be that young and yet have this experience where I, I had a weight and a sense that I am broken and without Jesus I have no hope. And so I was humbled, I was a humble sinner. And in college, continued kind of in that, that mold, just being shaped by Christ, uh, meeting other believers in college, joining Bible studies, moved into a fraternity had a heart for the people there uh, that were, <laughs> it was tough being a follower of Jesus in that context, but I cared about those brothers, and I wanted them to know God and experience the grace I had experienced. I had compassion towards people that didn't know Him. But you know what happened over time? I did what happens, I did the thing that happens to many of us that follow Jesus. Over time, I moved from being a humble sinner to slowly but surely kind of becoming a Pharisee. Paul had been a Pharisee when he was called to be an apostle. He was a religious leader that was all about the rules and the law and believing all the right things and having everything tightly held and, and, and obeying everything. And, and he, it was almost like the Taliban, not without the violence, but it was that intense. That's Paul, a Pharisee, a hypocrite, Jesus called him. I had been a humble sinner, but over time, I was becoming a hypocrite, and here's why. I started forgetting who I was when I met Jesus. And I started learning things, I started reading the Bible more, I started going to church more, feeling more and more confident about who I am, and after a while, I started going, I think I got this Christianity thing kind of figured out. Like, I'm on a role here. <laughs> I'm good. And I went to seminary, felt a little more righteous. Got ordained. Men laid hands on me and said, "You're a pastor now." And people called me pastor and reverend. I felt a little more righteous. I put my ordination uh, thing up on the wall and my my degrees from Purdue and seminary up on on my office wall, and I felt pretty good about that. And over time, more and more and more, I began to feel like I'm a little bit better than everybody else. Now, I would never have said that out loud. But what I was experiencing is this drift that I think happens to so many Christians and it's why we're known as hypocrites is we start to look out at the world and say they're broken, yeah, and they're sinful and they're that, but just accept Jesus and be righteous like me. What's your problem? Why don't you see the world the way I see it? And we lack grace and compassion just as the Pharisees did. But that's not the gospel, is it? The gospel is I am a broken sinner who needs Jesus, no matter who you are. But I, Paul had been a humble sinner, or excuse me, had been a Pharisee, who became a humble sinner, and I was a humble sinner who was becoming a Pharisee, and that's the story of, men of it, many of us. You need the gospel. I was blessed enough at that moment in my life. I'm 30-something years old. I'm a new pastor in a, in a new church in Cincinnati, Ohio, and the pastor there, great man named Walter, said, I want you to start listening to the tapes of this guy who's preaching in New York City. His name's Tim Keller. Never heard of him. And it was tapes, right? Not CDs or not MP3. It was not online. It was a tape. That's how long ago this was. So I'm getting his tapes weekly, sticking in my cassette deck. I'll show you pictures, kid, someday. Like, And you put it in. And I was listening to his sermons, and I was listening to get a technical understanding of how anybody could start a church in New York City and get people to go to church. Because this church was filled with young people who are who were in new york and agnostic and seeking and and not not exactly the the most bible Beltish place in the world how would you get people young people in new york city to go to church what must you do to do that and i'm looking at it very technically listening for how you would do this and i'm ex- expecting him to utterly water down the truth i'm expecting to hear a guy who is not speaking truth because to get people in new york to go to church that's I'm assuming what you would have to do. But I found the exact opposite. What he was doing was preaching the gospel to unbelievers. But for the first time, I heard a man preach the gospel to believers. And even though I was already an ordained pastor in the same denomination that he's in, I felt like I was reconverted to the gospel. And I wasn't, but I was being reminded again of how much this Pharisee over here Needed the grace of God in Jesus Christ. That even though whatever I had accomplished or whatever good I had done or whatever, it didn't matter. I am still that same needy man who needs Jesus desperately. That's you. No matter who you are, I don't care how righteous you are, you're a broken sinner who needs Jesus. I don't care how smart you are, how good-looking you are, how powerful you are, how successful you are. Men, this is what we do. We have success, righteousness. Women in the business world, you do the same thing. We get, my power is gonna come through the workplace, through economics, you get getting more money. Like, this is it. Like, I, I feel more righteous. You are a broken, needy person that needs Jesus. And if you stay in that mindset and you realize I'm no different than anyone else in the whole world, I am a broken sinner who needs Jesus, that is when your life can change. Becky and I moved here to plant this church because the gospel was birthed in our hearts later in life in our 30s after having kids and being in pastoral ministry. The gospel just started taking fruit in our hearts and lives in such a way that we said we've got to plant a church that makes that, and not that our church wasn't this way, but we wanted to plant a new church and make this the central theme of everything, the gospel. And if you ask me to describe New Valley, you know, tell me about New Valley. I mean, I, I, well, we're an authentic community that is all about gospel growth and kingdom mission. But if you make me condense it even more and just say, we're a gospel centered church, we really don't talk about hardly anything else. So if you didn't like today, don't come back because you're only going to hear the same every Sunday. <laughs> Different story, <laughs> same thing. Because we all need Jesus so much. He's the answer to everything. Let's pray. Father, we really, really need you profoundly. And we have all kinds of schemes and plans where we try to add other things. We try to build our confidence in other things. Lord, we're looking constantly to other things to build a righteousness apart from you. But you're alone worthy. You alone are are the one who's truly Savior. So I just pray for each one of us that we would all be humble enough to recognize our need of you And just to cry out in thanks. You've provided what we need to be saved. You've rescued us in Jesus. Thank you. We pray this in his name. Amen.